Welcome to Future Prospects, guys. I am so excited to have on two young ladies who I have the utmost respect for, Ethel Nalule and Trish Peters. Welcome, guys. Hi, sweethearts. Hello. Wave your hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're on Skype, girls. Now, the reason why I brought you back is that we've got a lot of things happening within our world. Not only COVID, well, COVID is like kind of old news now, right? But we've got an uprising and a major concern on racism, indifference issues. And the reason why I brought you beautiful ladies to the platform is because you talk with intelligence, not ignorance. You are very, very wise in your words and uh, you can educate as well as give hope to a lot of youth right now who just have some issues, right? So I'm going to start off once you're introducing yourself to the viewers. Some of you, some of the viewers know of you, some don't. So let's start with Trish. Introduce yourself, pretty girl. Hi, um, I'm Trish Peters. I am currently studying for finance at the University of Ontario. Um, I enjoy public speaking and I enjoy having educated conversations. So I guess that's why I'm here. And yeah, that's a little bit about me. All righty. Go for it there, Ethel. Hi, everyone. My name is Ethel Malule. I am a fourth year student at Trent University studying forensics and psychology. I as well also like public speaking and having conversations about anything, really. Right. I'm to be here today. Well, you're both welcome, honey. So I'm going to start off with what are your thoughts when you heard the news of George Floyd that literally has opened up the conversation of racism and a conversation that needs to be talked about. So how is it that you have taken it? How have you, what happened when you seen it? Anybody can jump in, anybody. That's what you want to go. <laughs> um, so when I heard about George Floyd, I was heartbroken because this isn't something new. We have seen this happening. A lot of people have been talking about this as, oh, this is um, happening again, or this is um, like treating it like it's a first. Those who aren't in the black community or the um, people of color community, but this is something that is prominent. This is something that is an injustice within our political, uh, our police policing systems. And so when I saw the video, which is a very traumatizing video, when I heard about the story, when I heard his parents speak and his sister speak about his passing, seeing the way the police officers treated George Floyd, himself saying he couldn't breathe, but their knee still stayed on his neck the entire time until he passed for eight seconds shows that we are we as black people are still not seen as equal to a human being and that depiction of what happened um the day of his murder goes to show how much um further we still need to go how much more we still need to keep fighting for what we're fighting for seeing everyone um starting to protest First, hearing all the comments and uh, from people saying, 
uh, why is everyone protesting during a, during a pandemic, relating it to previous protests when people were protesting about wanting the borders to open up and wanting to get their nails done. Right. Um, hearing those comments was so hurtful because there's a difference between wanting to get your nails done, wanting to leave your house, and wanting to live in a life where you don't have to live in fear every day for yourself or your family. Okay. We are protesting for our lives and our communities, not because we're tired. It's we've seen enough. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to live with. So it's, I think, yeah, I'll stop talking. No, 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 no. The reason being I had to jump in because your heart's full. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. So not a problem, but I got to share the platform, honey. So yeah. hold all those thoughts because we still got three segments. So it's all good. All right. But well said, pumpkin. Well said. Okay, Trish, go for it, sweetheart. Um, when I first heard about George Floyd, so I still haven't watched the video. I've seen the beginning and I've seen the end, but I can't bring myself to watch the whole video because, as you said, it is very traumatizing to see that. But on the heels of Ahmad Arbery and Breonna Taylor, all of this, when George Floyd's murder happened, it was it was almost like a wake up call to the whole world. It was like, hello, like this is still going on. It was very, very traumatizing to watch. And I only managed to watch the beginning and a little bit of the end of it. I could not make myself watch the whole thing. And I think as it was on the heels of Ahmad Arbery and Breonna Taylor, and I just think that the whole world kind of woke up to it. Like it was still happening and people were like, well, this can't happen any longer. And I think being in a pandemic when you're also surrounded by all you can really do is watch those things and watch the news and sit there and see what's happening in the world. So now people can't just ignore it. You know, it's actually very, very well said, ladies, but not saying but, but what I'm saying is, because I want to capture everything in this whole show, is that when you look at it, the question to me is, I didn't look at the video because Michael had posted it on Instagram. I didn't want to look at it because half of me, being honest, I'm human, I get angered. But were you angry that we still haven't learned from this? Anybody can jump in. Anybody. Ethel, have we learned from this? I think we ourselves know what is happening, but if we're talking about the systems that govern us, if we're talking about white supremacy, if we're talking about the policing system, they still have not done enough. They still have not learned what is at stake and what needs to change. That's what I think. Yeah. Right. I think that no matter where you are in this world, no matter which society you're in, it's very blatantly obvious that if you are a darker skin tone, you are still treated treated worse like it's very very obvious and like I know my own parents struggled with it when they were getting married and like it's hard because at the end of the day like my parents are both Indian but right. one's darker one's lighter but the fact that my dad was darker was a problem mm. right so just seeing that and seeing how people are reacting now the reason we have Black Lives Matter protests all over the world is because it happens all all over the world. Hmm. And that goes, oh. Go ahead, Ethel, go ahead. And that goes to further like show and explain how anti-blackness is exists in all racialized groups within all 
um, racialized groups, even within the black community itself, the darker yeah. people within the dark uh, the black community are treated as less than those of lighter skin. So if you're looking at policing, for example, and what happened with George Floyd, there are police officers of color, but still will treat those of darker skin as less than. Why is yeah. that? Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Like, cut in. Go ahead, Trish. Sorry, go ahead, hon. What were you going to say? And when you look at it like that, if you look at a friend group, like, often I use the example of boys in a friend group when one of them has been accused of a sexual assault. Your friends are more likely to stand by your side and say, no, he didn't do it. No, that didn't happen. So when you put cops together like that, it's like your friends even though you they know what you're doing is wrong they're not gonna snitch on you they don't want to they don't they want to stand by you and defend you and that's like if as a cop you can't go and tell someone that what they're doing is wrong and they shouldn't be doing it especially when they're upholding the law then I don't know like you don't deserve to be a cop definitely but when you're looking at the police now and there's I think we talked, we did talk about, we talked a lot in our pre-interview. In every bushel of apples, there's bad apples. Because yeah. not every single police officer <clears throat> is bad. So I do feel for them right now, the good ones with the bad. But at the same time, when they go through the training, would you think that that is not something that they're addressing? Like they're going to deal with young people. They're going to deal with racial issues. They're going to deal with aboriginals. They're going to deal with young people. Would you think that would be something that police officers are learning within their training? Hey, sorry, go Ethel. <laughs> I think we've asked enough of that. They know right. what needs to change. There's so much discrimination yeah. within policing. You can say there's good cops, there's bad cops. By the end of the day, the system of policing, it's the, what it's rooted in and what, why policing was created in the first place is what the issue is. And so you can have good, you can have bad, but at the end of the day, they're still, um, they're still supporting a system that's going to continue to hurt, hurt black people, hurt indigenous people, hurt all people of color. So when I think of cops, I don't think of cops, I think of the system that they're supporting and enabling as police officers. Okay. Trish, what? A criminal lawyer, a criminal lawyer has to have seven years of training, quote unquote, school training to become a lawyer. A cop, most cops are usually just high school graduates with less than a year to about a year of training. That doesn't like, that doesn't make me feel safe. You're not fully trained for social work. You're not fully trained for mental health issues. You're not fully trained to look at like, for equality issues, you're not trained for those. You can't be in school for a year and tell me that you're trained and ready to take on social work, mental health, and everything else that comes with being a cop. Wow. You're wise girls, man. Wise. Do you trust them? Do you trust them now? You women of color, brown girl, Negro girl, you're driving in a car. Do you trust <clears throat> them? I, I can't. They can have the a nice. They can have an, a smile on their face. They can have no weapons on them. But at the end of the day, I fear for my life when I see an officer because of everything that I've grown around. Um, you're supposed to grow up 
thinking that a police officer is there to protect you because that's what we're conditioned to believe. But when you see what's happening in your communities, when you see what's happening to your people, when you see that the protection isn't even happening, you the second a police officer comes up to you, immediately, even if it's subconsciously and you, don't, you aren't aware, it's a fear of what's going to happen to me? Am I going to make it out of this conversation? Um, and it's the uniform, it's everything that has now become a traumatizing um, object, if that makes sense, item. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think my opinions or words on this, I guess, would be that I've never been pulled over, knock on wood. I drive a lot, but I've, I'm usually I'm a law-abiding citizen, so I've never been pulled over. But I do know like a couple of my friends that have, and I, a part of me does fear seeing the cops, but I was on a walk with my boyfriend who's white the other day and there were cops in our, I don't know, they were ATVing on our, um, on our trails. And I don't know, like seeing me with a white guy, like it does strike fear in me. Cause it's like, what are they going to say to me? Are they going to say anything at all? I'm a very non-threatening person. I look very non-threatening. So right. I, I can't imagine how much worse it would be for someone who doesn't, who isn't a small little brown girl. Like I really can't. Can you hold that thought for a second, honey? <clears throat> Guys, we're going to take, take off from that on the second segment. Guys, you'll be right back with Ethel and Trish. Great stuff. Right back. with Trish and Ethel. We left off on, and I'm sorry to cut you short there, honey, but because it's only an hour show, our hearts are full. I don't want to waste a minute. But you left off saying that when you see a police officer and you're walking down the street with your boyfriend, Trish, you feel a little bit funny. Are you, like, why is it that you feel funny when there's a police officer in uniform where you should feel safe? Why, why, why should you feel um, uncomfortable? I think growing up, my parents did very well. So I lived in a nice neighborhood. So I never had to face the cops in any way unless I saw them in school. Like I never dealt with those situations. But when I went downtown and, you know, being a part of an interracial couple already is difficult because you do deal with family situations. But, you know, going downtown, people look at you differently. People like... As much as you want to say that they're built into society now, they're not. People are still giving you side glances here and there. And after everything that has gone on, it's hard for me to be, to walk down a street and see a cop and feel safe. Like after everything I know that they're capable of doing, it's really hard to see the system as something that will protect me. Right. You feel the same way there, Ethel? Uh, yes, I do. Um, because it it doesn't add up. Where, for example, I've been living back and forth between Canada and America, depending on where we're going to stay for a summer or not with family. Right. And when we're in the States, 
um, my little brothers wanting to play pretend war, you can't buy them any like water guns or whatever because you have to remember the story of Tamir Rice, a young boy who was just playing with the toy gun when cops showed up at the park and shot him. So I have to think about my brothers. You can't play pretend war because the police officers will not see you as a little boy pretend pre- pre- playing pretend. Mm. So there's a lot of fear that is instilled within all of us when it comes to officers, the policing system, knowing that police officers are, are also protected. When they do something, when they commit a crime, they have so much protection around them that right. it, take, it takes a lot of effort to even get them convicted into their own system. So knowing that they can do anything to you and get away with it does not sit well with me. You know something, this feels a little different now. and I don't wanna jump through different hoops, but I wanna make sure that I've crossed the T's on everything. Now, I gotta say something on air. Before I came to the show this afternoon, I prayed. I did pray because I'm dealing with a lot of stuff with this and in a self-reflection for myself. And um, I had to ask God to give me the right words to say, because I've never seen anything like this. I have never seen every single young person from every race speak up. Now, I'm going to ask you some hard questions here, and you need to hear this, and even including for myself. Have you ever had any issues with your color? I want to hear the stories that you have still dealt with have dealt with or still deal with? <clears throat> Anybody can jump in. You want to go first? Yeah, you go for it, hon. Uh, me? Okay. Um, yes, I have. Since Ever since I came to Canada, a lot of people speak about racism being only an American thing, but it's just as prominent here. Black communities, Indigenous communities as well, that itself needs its own large voice because they're also facing a lot of police brutality. Um, but... but- but I'm going to jump in. But when I say police, I'm not saying police. I'm talking about, we, yeah. we talked about the police, but people in general. Yes. Let's say, just tell, share a story that you have dealt with with a racism issue, an indifference. An indifference. Yes, that was, I was getting there. It was gonna sorry, work. sorry, sorry. Okay, I'm speeding you but, up. Go. <laughs> um, so when I first came to Canada, leaving a country where everyone looks like me, speaks like me, if they're being hateful, it has nothing to do with your skin color, to Canada where it's you see Canada as this better place. That's how it's kind of talked about back home. Right. Only to find out that it really isn't this better place because I had to give things to people in order for them to be my friend, hearing young children my age, around the age of eight, tell me that they can't be my friend because I'm black and their parents do not want them to be friends with black people. And that itself, although it happened at a young age, continued on as I grew up and shaped the self-confidence that I didn't grow up with, believing that I was inferior to people. And it led me to grow up thinking that I need to give to people lighter than me in order for them to see me as equal to them. And even within our own communities, there is inter, inter, um, how am I forgetting the word? Internalized racism, where I reach out to black communities and black friends, but they see me as not, as too dark or not black enough or calling me whitewashed. When all I'm looking for is a sense of community. When I see you as one of my, one of me, like we are one, but you see me as someone else. So there's so much racism in Canada. I can't depict just one story, but the one that means the most to me is that 
that what happened to me when I was around the age of seven and eight, being told that someone wasn't allowed to play with me because of the color of my skin, because to this day, it still plays a subconscious role in how I um, go around in society, putting me in a lot of stress with everything that I do. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, sweetheart. Trish, go, my love. Um, it, it was definitely difficult. Like I said, I grew up in a pretty decent neighborhood and my school was pretty white as I grew up. And just like the handful of brown kids, like we always had this running joke in my high school that pretty brown girls could never be friends with other pretty brown girls. Mm. Like it was just, it was just never seen. I think just like you, my first happened when I was around seven and I had just moved here too. And they, it was funny. It was literally another Indian girl. And she literally said to me, she asked me why my food smelled so bad. And I was like, this is what I eat. It's not, I think it smells good to me, but that moment in time will always be stuck with me forever. And I am like, I'm friends with her now or like not friends, but like acquaintances with her now. And obviously her stance has changed a lot, but being seven years old and hearing that, it's really, really difficult. And it took me, like Joy and I have spoken about this before, it took me a really long time to be comfortable in my skin color, to be comfortable in the way I look, to even accept the fact that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't below everyone on the list just because of my skin color. It took a really long time to accept, expect, uh, accept that. And I think it comes with, like, it's just years of, it happening again and again and again and again and again for you to kind of understand where you are at that point. You know something, girls? It touches my heart because you're the future. And there was a Seasons, a song group came on last Wednesday, and Matthew shared that he praised that himself <laughs> being a black man has, and he didn't even say the word black, he just praised that we have the same opportunity as everybody else. Does that concern yeah. you too? You're both university students, still going, you're gonna be putting yourself into the world there. What is your thoughts on that? Do you get concerned? Do you worry about your future and getting a job and getting the same, same rights, the same entitlement, the same opportunities, that's, that's the right word? I know like a lot of the time when I walk into job interviews, because my name on a resume is either Trish Peters or Trish to Peters, like nobody really looks at it and connects the dots. And they oftentimes expect a white girl to walk in or even a white guy. I don't really know, but they definitely don't expect me. And oftentimes in an interview room, I've been the only person of color and sometimes the only female. So sometimes I do think the things that I have done will be diminished because of my color or my skin or my race and I the only way my friends and I like my friends and I look at it is the more we educate ourselves the more people are going to listen to you that's right right Edu and so that that's how I look at it you got it hon Ethel um, when it comes to careers, just to touch on like uh, what you said about the more we educate ourselves, the more people will listen to us. That itself is another form of repression. We should not have to feel like we need to be educated in order to be heard. We need to, we should be heard just 
by who we are because the education system itself is another issue of its own. And so like when it comes to thinking of myself in a career, I do worry because I have been in positions. Um, I was currently on my student union at Trent where I'm sitting in meetings where I'm the only person of color, let alone the only black person my voice continuously being belittled, being spoken over. And because I'm so used to allowing myself to be spoken over, I just sit to the side and no one even notices that I have not spoken the entire meeting. So mm-hmm. seeing that happen in an institution that speaks a lot on inclusivity is enough to show me that the future might be just as hard. But because of that experience and because I know what I deserve and I know what I, lear- what I um, want and what I will learn, I know first things first, I would never work for a company that is rooted in racism. And I know that I will stand my ground no matter what anyone says. If they think I'm not as educated, if I'm not dressed proper, as they say, I will continue to get what I want. And I will get what I want um, in terms of a career without letting it get to me. Because at this point and where I am with my age, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. If you're racist, I'm gone. And if you're not going to let me speak, I'm going to speak. And so um, that's where I'm at. What makes you girls so feisty? Love it. I love it. Mwah. What makes you girls so feisty, man? Like, come on. Sorry, can I, can, I say, can I say one thing? Honestly, like, I agree with you 100%, Ethel. So my experience on this was a little different. I, I, I did start my own uh, club, I guess, for now at my school called like the women in business club. Cause that's the field I'm going into. And that's what I was very passionate about. So I started this club at, in my first year. So it was a very uh, big task that I decided to take on at that point. My friend group from school, I didn't know very well. We had just met, we were just connecting and they were great girls, but oftentimes I was left. I was the only person of color. I was left in meetings feeling like I wasn't heard, feeling like people were overstepping on top of me where I was the president and the founder of the club. And it came to a really big boiling point where I, as a commuter, I drive 45 minutes to school every day. I couldn't go out of my way on my days off to drive to school for a meeting. It didn't make sense. I would, I could FaceTime, I could call in, but why would I drive to school and waste my gas money to get there? So it came to a very big boiling point where at one point we had a meeting on how we wanted to continue the club into the future. And honestly, like this club was my baby. Like I, I loved it, but somehow these girls decided we were going to have a vote, which you can't do because technically I was the president and it would have been my choice as to where to go from it. Mm -hmm. But I just felt so stepped on that I was just like, okay, let's have a vote. And they voted me out of my role. At that point, I was very, very, very fed up. And I don't, I don't like being stepped on by anyone, especially not people who have not faced the same circumstances as I have, who have not done the same research on these topics as I have, especially not people that aren't as educated in these programs as I am and invested because to me, it felt like they were using it as a way to get something on their resume. It didn't actually mean something. And so I took a step back and I said, okay, like I'm going to back up. There was no, I never said anything to them. I just left it as it was. I didn't speak to them after that. I developed new friendships. I went on my way. 
but it was really hard to let something go that was such a big part of me and my life when when it just felt like all the time I was being stepped over and it may not have been because I was a person of color but it felt like that because I was the only person of color in that group and even like my friends after often told me that they noticed that it seemed like I was just speaking and people would just ignore me and so for people to perceive that from our friend group I I just I couldn't do it so it's, it's really hard to be in that situation you got it hon that note guys we're gonna hold everything right now we're gonna go to break we're gonna come back guys stay tuned future prospects guys we'll be right back Prospects guys with Trish and Ethel. Hey guys, give me some waves. Give me some waves. Give me some waves. You know why? Because Hello. Of, yeah, hi, sweetheart. It's a heavy subject, but it's a subject that needs to be talked about. Okay, mm -hmm. so we've covered policing, we've covered <clears throat> communities, we've covered within organizations, um, being a voice. Have you yourself within your own race? dealt with it because I know I have I've dealt with it outside and in but if you dealt with it within your, your own race do you want to go Ethel? you can go racism okay. dealt with it because uh, I, I have with my hair and that's I <laughs> I very lucky to be raised by parents who taught me to use everything that they had given me to my advantage so if you picked up the phone, I didn't have an accent. My mom was a principal back in India. So I learned English very young and it like, it's my second language, but I speak it perfectly. And I think dealing with racism within my own community often stems from the way you dress, from the way you act, from the way you do things, from the people you hang out with, from the people you date. I know a lot of people would like say oh my god you got a white boyfriend like oh my goodness your best friend's white like I would hear lots of these snide comments as mm -hmm. I got older and like even from people I know I know once someone asked me why my white boyfriend was with me and why he couldn't find a nice white girl to date and I was like well that's nice for you holy cow yeah so it's it's difficult I think being given those advantages and learning how to take advantage of them, it's really hard to fit in in your own community and fit in in society, like a wider society that we live in. Okay. All right. You can see Ethel just jumping at the bits. Get me in there. Okay, Ethel, go. I was just itchy trying so hard, but... Um, just, <laughs> um, yeah, with me, I've faced a lot of racism within my own community as well. I've heard my friends who are of lighter skin, who have bigger curls and curlier hair telling me that they would never want to marry an African because then their child's hair would be as, would be as nappy as mine. Or friends who say, oh, I wish I was dark as you, but I don't want the hair to come with it. Whoa. So hair being a very important thing to me because I've 
only just seen my natural hair since I was seven years old two years ago. So it's become something I hold, I see as like a huge part of myself. I've heard comments about my skin color from other um, lighter black folks. I have been called whitewashed because of my accent, which I wish I still had my um, Ugandan accent, but because moving to Canada, you just, you pick up, uh, your accent changes easily when you're younger, depending on where you live. But I, I still had my um, Ugandan accent because that is who I am. But it gives me a different kind of, and I do see that as a privilege, being able to speak with this, I guess you can call it Canadian accent, a privilege over other friends or family members back home, my mom herself, or is me having to speak for her when we're ordering food because people can't understand what she's saying hurts my own heart because yes, you can, you're just not listening. Right. So there is so much internalized racism within our marginalized groups and it's just as heartful as racism outside. But you know, it's not right. You know what makes my heart angry and I'm gonna say this on air, who gives them the God-given right to speak to somebody like that? We have to ask ourselves now, do we in some way give them permission? Do we not speak up enough? Does it take a man to have his knee on his neck by an American police officer for us to wake up and go, hello? So I've been doing some self-reflection on myself and I've never been quiet, but I've looked at a lot of the people that I've associated with recently and I have cleaned house a little bit. I have, and from some slurs that they've made and I have tried not to get into the fight so am I alone on this? Have you kind of looked at yourself and your own friends of circles, certain ways that they have talked to you and drop words and, you know? I know in high school, I really dealt with having strong opinions, whether it be racism, sexism, homophobia. Like I dealt with those strong opinions and I very much sometimes I did find myself saying, is it worth to pick this fight with this person? Right. And I found myself having to end relationships, friendships because of those reasons. I stood I stood in front of people and I did presentations and people would look at me and say the wage gap doesn't exist or people of color aren't paid less, or, you know, and to hear those things, especially when there's a teacher in the room and the teacher just go, OK, OK, relax. Like these are opinions that these people grow up with. And funny, that man who said that to me, he was at my school a couple months ago for who knows what reason, and I don't really care why. But he saw me, and one of his friends who was, like, indirectly connected to me told me that that boy had told him everything about me and that he believed them. And I was like, what did he say to you, that I stand up for my own beliefs and what I believe in? And so for that to kind of follow me around was really, really hard for me to face. It was really hard to look at it and be like, okay, like maybe I shouldn't have made those presentations or said those things. But I know that deep in my heart, because I was like that, no one can ever question what I stand for ever. It's very, it's flat out, it's out there. But I know that I look at some people that are from my high school that post things right now and I say, well, you did this, 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 and this in high school. Like, what's changed? Because I know that towards us and towards the people that you knew, knew back then, you haven't changed. 
when you see us, you still act like that. There's no change that's actually made in the way you're acting. It's just change that's been made in what you post on social media. You got it, hon. You got it. Ethel? What was the question again? The question is, oh my God, I think we got the question. The question is, have you done a self-reflection on your circle of friends? Oh, I yeah. know I have. I have. So go for it, honey. Okay, yes, I definitely have. And I'm definitely finally with a group of friends that I can feel safe with, who I feel heard. We respect each other's boundaries. We respect each other wholeheartedly. You don't have to over-explain. But it took time because especially within uh, my black friends, all I've ever wanted was a group of black friends because they just get me. I love all my friends. I've had friends from all different races, but something about having even just one friend who understands you from a cultural level means everything. But I faced a lot of internalized racism trying to find that. But now I have groups of friends who um, who love me. Even my, my white friends have educated themselves to the point where they don't ask me to educate them on topics. They don't ask me questions about certain topics. They go out and look for it because... At the end of the day, we had to educate ourselves too. We didn't know all this history. We didn't know all this knowledge with that just by living. Most of the stuff we experienced ourselves, but we had to read, we had to watch, and it means everything to have friends who um, put, go out. Because Google is free. Everyone can Google. Books. Some books are free. That's true. <laughs> so um, I've had to look at my friends, and if just like even like anyone watching right now, it is... You might want to stay within your group of friends because of something they give you that you think you can't find somewhere else. The answer is you can, and you deserve that so much because I didn't know that till literally five months ago. So I definitely have. That is so true. We've only got eight minutes. We've got 11 minutes and 20 seconds, viewers. So I'm going to grab this one, and this is going to be a tough one. Have you ever been called the N-word? How do you feel about the N-word? I'm not going to say it because I know I'm not that. I know rappers use it, young people use it, people use it, and, and, and I'm like, what? Excuse me? A white person can't say to a black person, but a black person can say to a black person. What is up with that? So I've never been called the N-word, but like in a derogatory way from someone who is not black. Right. And grew up, I didn't grow up using the N-word. Um, growing up, I believed that it had such a deep history that was just so triggering that I could not bring myself to use it. But as I grew older, met more people and um, started understanding different cultures, different communities, I, I understand why the N-word is used within Black communities. I, I uh, what's the word? I have nothing against the N-word being used within Black communities because it's used as a way to reclaim power in a sense, but it's also not a word used by every Black person. So when you, I know there's a lot of conversation around whether why Black people say it and white people can't, or think about our ancestors, would they want to come back and hear us saying it? Mm -hmm. um, but we cannot police each other on what words that we can use. We cannot define someone's Blackness for them if their way of using it is to see it as I'm reclaiming something that was so negative to myself, that was so negative to my ancestors in a way that I mean brother, sister, friend, person, in a way to bring community together, then yes, they can use it. I will never tell a black person never to use the N-word because it's their word, it's our word 
that was used against us in a very derogatory and harmful way. But ever since slavery, the N-word has been used in a way that was not just the way it was used by, um, I, I can't think of the word, that was used against us. So yeah. since slavery, it was used in an ironic way, in a way to refer to a friend. And so that has carried on. So throughout the years, it's political, it's a statement. And I think um, when I hear it within the community, it feels, I, haven't, I have no feeling towards it, but I understand the question around why white people can't use it. Well, they've taken enough from us. We're allowed to have things that are hard and ours to use and ours to say. And for once, they can have they cannot have one thing, and it's not, it's right. just a word. Yeah. You can use many. Okay. Yeah. On that note, we gotta go to break, girls. Our hearts are full. You are awesome. We'll be right back, guys. Right back. Phenomenal girls, phenomenal, phenomenal. Heavy subject. A lot of digesting after this, I'll tell you. Um, your future. You are the future. You are the future. Why is it that it's important now to believe in yourself, to talk, to be bold, to be courageous, and to have no fear? Anybody can jump in, a minute and a half for each of you. Trish, go. Okay, I can go. Um, right now, it, you have to be confident in who you are, what you believe in, what you stand for. The future does not look very friendly. It looks like it's going to take a long time for change to happen. But change will happen slowly, as we've seen in the past. But me knowing who I am and who, what I stand for and what I believe in allows me to sur be surrounded by like-minded people and to be surrounded by people who will go out of their way to educate themselves, who will understand what's going on, who will give me the support I need to succeed myself. And in return, I do the same for them. And I know I plan on being very successful in what I do and where I go in life. And for me to have that viewpoint at such a young age, it's hard to find like-minded individuals, but to be successful, it has, you start with changing the world. So I guess that's where we're starting right now. You got it, sweetheart. Oh my God. Great job there, Trish, great job. You know, being young today, you guys are sitting in history right now. You're watching history change, right? It's exciting. You're the force that's gonna push this forth. Is there any, any changes you wanna see happen? What kind of changes would you like to see happening? 
Give me one change. Can anybody give me a change? What change would you like to see? Trish? Ashley, you want to go? Okay, sure. Um, well, I would love to see in Canada or the world. In Canada. Let's start with Canada. Canada. I would love to see um, prisons abolished <laughs> and um, uh, capitalism, something, at least something to be abolished within capitalism. All right. Trish? I think I would just love to see more women in power. I think women leaders are often very much looked down upon, but as COVID has pro proven, women leaders are usually the ones that have more control of what they're doing. And New Zealand's prime minister with a pregnancy has done very well in getting COVID under control. So I think women leaders would help just get everything just help everything be in perspective. Right. How important is it to love your color? Love being a black woman. I can't believe I'm saying that because I've never had to say that. Wow, really, I've never had to say it, girls. You can laugh, but I've never introduced myself. Hi, my name is Joy Foster. I'm black. I've never had to say that. I've always said Joy Foster. How I think it's it's important because um, if we're not seeing ourselves by the color we're in, we're kind of erasing it in a sense. Mm. So being able and being able to see ourselves as beautiful black women, beautiful dark-skinned women, is itself political. Is itself kind of rad is radical and puts us in a place that those before us could not even see themselves. So by embodying ourselves in who we are, our skin, our gender, our sexuality, it is in itself um, a guiding stool or a, a positive precedent for those um, younger than us, the youth, and the next generation. Okay, all right. It's, sorry, it's quite difficult to, especially in South Asian communities, being lighter is usually seen as being prettier or better and, you know, that can go all the way back to British colonization in India, Pakistan, and all of those countries. And it's so important to love who you are and what skin you're in, because at the end of the day, you can't change it. You have to own it. You have to use it. And, you know, it's funny because most people like darker skinned girls. More, most people want to be tan. Most people want to be darker. Right. And we're here suffering for it, yet the rest of the world wants to be it. So I think at one point you need to take ownership of that and just say, okay, this is who we are. And if you're not happy with it, I'm sure you can find another place in society, but not beside me. You got it, hon. When you look in the mirror, girls, and I ask every young person this, what do you see? I know what I see, but what do you see? When you look in the mirror, beautiful <laughs> apple, what do you see, hon? When I look in the mirror, I see someone who has made it to a place where she never thought she'd be. And you know my story, Joy. You know most of it, I guess. And so it took a lot for me to be able to look in the mirror and see something great because there was even a time where I looked in the mirror and couldn't recognize myself because I had my brain completely shut down. So it's everything to me being able to see my reflection and being able to dream of how much further I can keep going. 
Yes. You are the strength. I'll take a second to her right now, Trish, is that you are the strength when I first met you. You are the strength that helped me through a lot of my issues. So I got to thank you for that, honey. You really are. Your smile, your integrity, and I want to have the tears flying down here now, but um, you're beautiful girls. And uh, women of color is something that I'm going to definitely champion for sure. Um, do you worry for the young people down the road, the younger ones than yourself coming in, that the little toddlers? Because there's a picture that's going to reflect that at the end of the show. Do you worry about the little ones? Trish? Trish? <laughs> do you worry um, about I, I do. I definitely do. Like, my brother is 10, so I see it every day. I see the fact that I have to talk to him and explain it to him and tell him what's going on. And, you know, as like from a young child, I always told him, I said, this is the way you treat women. This is the way you treat everyone around you, regardless of their skin color. It doesn't matter. And I think I do worry about him because I don't think to an extent he realizes what's going on in the world. We don't obviously like there's a lot of protests here as well, but we don't live in America. We don't see it to that standpoint. We don't see it to that extent. Right. here it's a lot of it is here but as a country we tend to sweep it under the rug we tend to pretend it's not happening we tend to act like it's just there and I think kids especially don't see it like that they don't see what's happening they don't see what actually is going on and I know for my parents it's like it's hard for me to have those conversations with him and so for me who wants to open that up and wants to speak about about it with him and say okay like if you have any questions come talk to me but they're so involved in gaming and going outside to play that they don't even realize that it's going to affect them as they get older yes yes ethel same with me my younger brothers um john is 10 and jude is 12 um constantly trying to teach them things in ways that they'll understand. John has TikToks and TikTok has gotten very political lately. <laughs> so he <laughs> to me with all the questions about what's happening, who's George Floyd, who's this, what's Black Lives Matter. Um, and then, so I've been teaching them a lot since they were little, teaching them songs about loving your skin. We have little games we used to play about building confidence because especially them being boys is something different. The darker you are and when you're a man, you're seen, and when you're mad or aggressive, they don't see you as someone who is just mad. They see you as a dark skinned person who is aggressive and therefore someone to fear. So my experience as a woman will be different for them as young black boys and as older black boys. So I try my best to make sure I'm reading up on the black boy experience itself and educating them, making them feel loved and confident because this new generation, the young kids, they are, they're something. They're mm -hmm. smart. They play a lot oh, of yeah. but they're so smart. I'm like, who, where did they come from? So I have so much hope for them. And the, the least and most I can do is support them and educate them in a way that's accessible to them. Do you not see a force happening right now when you see all these um, protesters? What do you see when you see the protesters? I want just one minute for each because I'm looking at the clock here. When you see... I see go, sorry. Go. Go <laughs> I see a revolution. Like, I'm immune compromised, so I can't be out in protest 
because that's deathly risky. But I like I just I see a revolution happening, something taking place that has never taken place before. This has already been one of the greatest protests in history. It's the biggest and something's going to have to give. I think it's a lot harder when you have a racist president. It's a lot harder when your president does things like that. But hopefully here in Canada, our prime minister kneeled with us, but hopefully he can make actual changes that are reflected in what we stand for and what the people stand for. You got it, girl. Ethel? I agree. I see a revolution. I see change that has, I see, oh man, this is hard. Because I know the time thing. Okay. We'll end go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, honey. Go ahead. Okay, take your time. Uh, yeah. You see um, change? So I see something that has been a long, oh. a long time coming. Yeah, I'll say that. <laughs> I see a, a revolution, and I see something that has been a long time coming. With so many people speaking up, indigenous issues finally coming to the upfront, mm-hmm. um, and just something that was needed. It's unfortunate that it's during a pandemic, but seeing that people are willing to put their health at risk for the like. For, to fight racism, to fight police brutality, to fight for equality, equity. It's something amazing. Wow. Yeah. One thing to the viewers of Hope, and then I'm going to have to let you beautiful ladies go, but you can come back. One word of wisdom to our youth girls. One word, real fast. Learn. Okay. Persist. Ethel? Persist. Persist. And on that note, I love you both. You're coming back. Keep going, keep smiling, and rock your style, okay? Thank you. Love you guys. Bye.